When I finished my sermon for today, this decision had not yet come down. And the first question in my sermon is this. What do you see when you look out at the world? What do you see when you look out at the world? Well, this world of ours, this postmodern, deconstructionistic, angry world, it's very easy for us to think that that is out there somewhere, but that's us too here, right? In the confines of the church, wherever we find ourselves. What word do we need at some times? Well, we're going to go to what I think of as one of the most postmodern prophets in the Bible, and that's Habakkuk. We don't know a lot about Habakkuk, we really don't, but we do know that he is the prophet of hard questions. We can hear the visceral cry of someone who's questioning God in the midst of his world. How many of us would stand with him and echo his questions? Today, if you're here with questions, if you're here with doubts, whether joining us on Facebook or right here, here's what I want to invite you to do. Ask your questions. Don't dismiss your doubts. Doubt is an element of faith. If you're finding your place with hard questions in your life, speak them out to God. He's not afraid to handle them. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. That's how this small book in the Bible welcomes us with the types of questions that many have been asking as we watch the Ukrainian refugees displaced and innocent victims of the violence of war increase. People asking these questions as we hear reports of children gunned down. Asking these kinds of questions. And wonder if those in power actually care about justice or just that their place at the political table of power stays intact. That's what's happening. Questions. One of my favorite lyricists and singers is Stephen Curtis Chapman. His greatest album, in my opinion, and all of you musicians, you have yours, but in my opinion, his greatest album is Beauty Will Rise. It was the first album and set of songs that he produced 
after the death of his five-year-old daughter, Maria, who was run over by a car in their own parking lot, in their own driveway. And he wrote these words. I think his lyrics to the song, Questions, could have been written by Habakkuk. He writes this, Who are you, God? For you are turning out to be so much different than I imagined. And where are you, God? Because I'm finding life to be so much harder than I had planned. And then he goes on and he says, And if you know my heart, the way that I believe you do, God, you know that I believe in you. And still, I have these questions. We wonder why life is not what it should be or what it could be, as he says in another song on that album. And we ask God, where are you now? Where are you now? That's what Habakkuk was doing. It's somewhere around uh, 603 B.C. Judah is on the precipice. The world powers, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, they're, they're like pulling at the seams of the world. Just pulling. And it, and it seems like the seams of the world are about to let go. Does this sound familiar? But if you look closely, you discover this. In just 17 years or so, the Babylonians are going to ransack Judea, completely sending people into exile, totally disrupting life, pulling them from security and safety. Look even closer, and what you see is that there's no distinct difference between the people who name themselves as God's people and the people who want nothing to do with God. No real difference between them. Does any of this sound familiar? You see, the prophet's words sound like our words in our world. His, his questions and his complaints are our questions and complaints. So let's start there. Do you ever ask questions in the dark? Some heads are nodding yes. Well, here's, here's the news. Here's the good news. We have a good companion in Habakkuk. Good company. Questions. The theologian Nicholas Walterstoff tragically lost his 25-year-old son Noah in a climbing accident. He was 25. And Walterstoff asked this question of God. He said, will, you adjust, will my eyes adjust to this darkness? Will I find you in the dark? Has anyone ever found you there? And are there songs for singing when the light has gone dim? Or in the dark, is it best to wait in silence? Will we find God in the dark? Walterstoff goes on. How is faith to endure, O God, when you allow all this scraping and tearing on us? We strain to hear, but instead of hearing an answer, we catch sight of God himself, scraped and torn. That's what the cross is about. We strain to hear, but all we get is this picture of God himself scraped and torn on the cross. Through our tears, we see the tears of God. And then he says, I shall look at the world through tears. Perhaps I shall see things that dry-eyed I could not see. Are we looking at the world through tears? 
Am I looking at the world through tears? And maybe I'll see something beyond myself, beyond myself, when I look through the world through tears. Could it be that in the darkness I see God in ways I would never see him any other time or place? The place where we ask questions in the dark. So it is this prophet, this postmodern prophet, with this name we would never name any of our children, perhaps. The one who declares his questions so publicly, where we find the faith needed for such a day as this, and this is what we learn. God is big enough for the dark. He's big enough for our doubts, our questions, our laments, and our frustrations. But like this prophet, you see, we live in this tension. We live in the tension between, it's a false dichotomy of faith and reality. We make a dichotomy that faith's one thing, reality's another thing. That's a false dichotomy. So we live in the tension of this dichotomy and the truth of faith as reality. That's what we live in, in, in as we live out our, our Christian life. Faith as reality. Our faith calls us to see beyond what we see, not living in the denial of the horrible realities in our world, but anchoring in the reality that is God. And Habakkuk the prophet has such a faith as we see him, first of all, shouting into the dark. We were in our first congregation in a little village in upstate New York. And in the summer, we'd go out late in the night and, and um, it'd be really dark. There was no, it was, it was the middle of nowhere and there was no street lights or anything. The lights would be really dark. My kids would be in the back. Kathleen would be, of course, next to me. We'd be driving down the road and I'd start getting really slow, really slow. And, the and just so you know, the road was straight and it was really dark. And I'd be moving slower and slower. And then I'd shut the lights off. And my kids would start screaming. Ah! And Kathleen would ask this question inevitably. Why do you do that? Right? So we're used to asking questions perhaps in the dark. And maybe shouting into the dark. My kids would definitely shout in the dark. And my, my, my very sweet wife would not ask it. Why, are you, why do you do that? He would ask it with a little more passion. Let's just put that there. The dark. Perhaps you know what a fissure is. A fissure is a crack in the ground that reveals a fault line deep within the ground where you can't see in the darkness. In our time of living in California, and those of you who have been there, you've seen them, you can see fissures that reveal where the famous San Andreas Fault is. Now, the problem with that is that a fissure is evidence of a deeper problem that ultimately fractures whatever is around it. And we call that an earthquake. Well, what this prophet is doing is he's pointing to something as he's shouting in the dark. He's pointing to something deeper, some deeper problem. He uses the word for justice twice in verse 4. And the word for justice 
actually, as we saw last week, isn't about being punitive. It's about being restorative, about the restoration. So when he says justice is perverted, he's saying God's restoration is being hindered, being perverted. The word suggests the order ordained by God for the society of his people. And so the issues listed in the prophet's complaint come from this. He's basically saying the people have abandoned the order intended by God for their society. A.W. Tozer made a very strong statement. He was in the habit of making very strong statements. And he said this, the cause of all human miseries is a radical moral dislocation. The result of that is violence rules. Mob rule rules. Immorality destroys relationships. The weak are oppressed and used by the powerful. Thank you for that beautiful prayer this morning, Pastor Shirley. Anger and rage become the order. The prophet's problem in the darkness, though, is found in this first question. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? How would you ask that today? How have you asked that? Because you see, we might say, where are you, God? Or why, do you, why did you allow this, God? Or what is going on here, God? Or I don't understand why that decision by my loved one has been made, God. Where do you ask these questions? My friends, it's not if, it's not if, but when this is your cry. Not if, but when. And when your cry is, how long, O Lord? Here's what I want you to remember. Keep crying out. Keep crying out, because the cry springs not from the doubter, but from the person who trusts that God has a better plan. And that's why we doubt. That God's will is the best will. They trust there is a better vision of the world. God's vision. These are the people that pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the truth is, when we live in relationship of the reality of life with Jesus, we are offered a foretaste of the peace and the joy and the love that God desires for the entire world. So this is not about doubting God or looking through some religious rose-colored glasses or living in denial about the world around us. This is about taking this stand of, like, standing between the questions and the answers. Standing in the middle of them. Listen to the prophet's response in Habakkuk chapter 2. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I will stand. I will stand. I will hang in there. I will wait for God. Why? Because the prophet's saying, I believe the Lord has a better vision for the world. I believe the Lord has a better, better vision for life, for humanity. I believe that God wants humanity to flourish. Do you believe that? I believe that. I, I believe at the heart of God's great project of salvation of humanity is his desire for human beings to flourish in the shalom of God. 
the well-being of God. And that's what the prophet's saying. And God eventually answers the prophet's with this vision. Verse 14 of chapter 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so this tells me something, that God is bringing his answer, but this is what it tells me. It tells me in my world today. It tells me in the broken places today in my own life. It tells me, it speaks to me in the darkness where there are no answers. And I'm wondering, God, where are you in this? When I ask the question that's going to be the question I'm going to ask the rest of my life, God, what are you inviting me into? This tells me something. It tells me this. Take the long view. Take the long view. Take a good look at our world. Take a good look at the darkness. Look into it. And remember this. This is what we learned from the prophet. God is not done yet. God is not done yet. And so we live in this place called in between, between the questions and the answers. We do not see the whole picture. We do not know the entire story. The world is not as God desires or intends it to be, but that does mean that God is not setting things right, that he's working, he's moving. And let me just add this. God is setting things right, and he's often using his people to do that. And when we don't do that, then we're not participating in the great redemption project of God through Christ. So how do I do that? Back to what we were talking about earlier, before prayer. How do I join God in the great redemption project right now in my country, my world, to bring his grace and his mercy to the world? to help God set things right. In his time, he makes all things beautiful. We do not understand how, but we can trust the fact that he is still at work in our world and that he is with us. In the parable of the persistent widow, Jesus gives us this life lesson. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Now remember, there's no justice being had yet. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly, here's the last verse, look at it. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You see, the lesson Jesus is giving is not that God's going to bring justice, not that, that, you know, the question of whether or not God's going to make things right. He's saying, slam dunk. Here's the question. When he does come to make all things right, and let me personalize it. When he comes to you, DeFrança, and he's making all things right, is he going to see faith in you here on earth? And I would extend it. Faith in him in such a way that I participate in his project of justice in the world. Will he see that in me? It's easy for me to point at other people and corners of my world, but God's going to show up and go, well, Jeff, do I find faith? I love that. That justice, that making all things right, will come in his time and his way, which leaves us in what have called, some have called liminal space. That time between the way things are now and the way they will be then, between the pain and the relief, 
between the shame and the forgiveness, between the sorrow and the joy, between the discouragement and the inspiration, between the darkness and the light, between the temporal world and the eternal world. And there's not a person who's gathered here today or viewing with us online today who has not lived someplace there. So how do we live? Let's just say it this way. How do we live in the meantime? Well, the prophet answers that question too. In Habakkuk 2.4, it says, the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Now, we often think that that verse of Scripture is just simply about justification by faith, as articulated by Paul in the book of Romans. Now, Paul does use those words explaining the power of faith and salvation, and that is true. We live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. But it meant so much more than a transaction that secures salvation. The Hebrew term actually is a disposition of trust, evidenced in endurance and steadfastness and patience. The New Living Translation of verse 4 more fully says, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So what does faithfulness mean, especially in our day? Well, as Elizabeth Actemeyer said, faithfulness means placing one's whole life in God's hands and trusting him to fulfill it despite outward and inward circumstances. Faithfulness is life by God's power rather than one's own. What a statement. You should take that statement, think about that statement, take a picture of that statement, and think on it. Life by God's power, not my own. Boy. Let's go back to that theologian, Wolsterstoff. Where does this find? You know, where does this touch ground? Where's that, that faith that's found on earth? Well, continuing to reflect on the death of his son, the tragic death of his son. Wolterstaff said this, Faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you're forced to walk onto it. I'm looking around this room. I'm looking at many of you at different junctures in your life. You know what one of the privileges of being a pastor has been? That I've watched you. I've watched you walk over the footbridge of faith when you weren't sure it was going to hold you up. And you did it anyway. I remember. When I see you, I think about it. When it was dark, when you weren't sure, when you wondered, and what you did was you stepped out on the footbridge of faith and you weren't even sure. But you did it anyway. And you know what you found out? Just what we sang today. I am holding on to you. The great I am is holding on to you, even in the midst of the darkness. What does that faith sound like? Well, let's let the scriptures just fill our minds and hearts today. 
What does this faith sound like? It sounds like 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have troubles all around us, but we are not defeated. We do not know what to do, but we do not give up the hope of living. We are persecuted, but God does not leave us. We are hurt sometimes, but we are not destroyed. That's what it sounds like. What does this faith grip hold of? Well, this is what it grips hold of. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, but on, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. And this faith, this, this faith, this footbridge of faith that Walter Stuff discovered never forgets one thing. In the middle of writing this sermon, a friend of mine texted me these words. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. So in the in-between place between what is and what is to come, in the meantime, this prophet calls me, calls you, calls us to wait. There's no condemnation about our cries for help or struggle to see God's hand. He simply calls us to hold that hand in the meantime. I've become very fond of the words of Psalm 27 that offer me language for my life in this chapter. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Worship team is going to come at this time. We're going to sing Waymaker as we close. But you know what I've discovered? Maybe you've discovered the same thing, that the land of the living is not always good. The land of the living, it does, the text doesn't promise that the land of the living is going to be good. But it says, I've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is living out faith in the midst of the unpredictable and fractured nature of life. This is crossing that footbridge. I think I need to get a picture of a footbridge. And then put a back of 214 by it. Maybe I need to hang that up in the mirror in my bathroom or the door as I'm going out or the entrance to my office. Maybe on the dashboard to remind me that life, that this faith that Jesus wants to find when he makes all things right begins by stepping on the footbridge. Trusting him. Not giving in to the God of certainty. 
a myth, really. But depending on the God whose mercies, whose compassions, whose graciousness, whose care, whose love are new each morning. Great is his faithfulness. So what does this all sound like? What does it mean to step out on the faith, the faith footbridge, to live our faith when asking the questions in the darkness abound? At the very end of this little book, this postmodern prophet gives us an answer, beginning with verse 16. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on its vines. Though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no fruit. Though the flock is cut off from the fold, there is no herd in the stalls. I don't see anything. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in my God of deliverance. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he makes me tread upon the heights. You stand with me please this morning. We're going to sing Waymaker this morning. This song, I love this song. Some of these lyrics are printed around our home. Do you need the Waymaker today? You need to, before you leave here, you just need to come and pray. The world we're living in, family life, your own heart, what's ever happening there. Do you need to just come and kneel and just spend a few minutes praying? And if you can't kneel, but you want to just come and sit in the front, just to say, this is my, this is my physical declaration of taking the first step on the footbridge. If you want to come, come pray. As we sing together, come pray. If you want to pray before we leave, come pray. Just come. When we sing this song, we cry it out to God, just come pray. I was, I was probably a freshman in Bible college and Dr. Neil Wiseman was preaching, this great man of God. And he says this, this holiness sermon, he says this, everyone has their dark. And I went, yeah. So if there's some place where you just need to come and just say, God, be my way maker today. I invite you to come. Let's sing.